delight and entertain. Ah, thinking of these bright young comedians with so much potential and so many drug problems makes me as giddy as a schoolgirl. I haven't had so much fun and giggles since my non-trinary youth at Bumble's warning school in East Brackenshire, where I danced with Hugh Grant, helped Jason Statham steal an antique shotgun, and took nude photos of Prince Harry, who I must mention was not named appropriately. Sign up in person for your own comedic adventures at 7.30pm or pre-sign with the host by sending a direct message via social media. If you can't make it out to that den of iniquity known as mutinyradio.fm, listen in live from home or download the podcast on Apple iTunes under Friends of Mutiny. A smashing time will be had by all. Until next Saturday night at 8pm, cheerio darlings.
what's the issue with photo backup? Well, for the most part,
And good morning, Labor and Love fans. This is the B, Labor and Love Show, 10 to 12, every Saturday morning on Mutiny Radio. Mutiny Radio here at uh, Florida, 21st and Florida in the Mission. We have both a physical presence and a network presence. We're coming out at you through the airwaves. On your computer at mutinyradio.fm and then punch the live button. Yeah, this is the B. And we just played that, you could call a mixed bag opener. Um, Taylor Swift was the last one. Taylor Swift and her song, You Need to Calm Down. Okay, about. Uh, People's reactions to homosexuals. You need to calm down. Okay, very nice. But we're going to use that Taylor Swift song as sort of a springboard to talk about one of the very basic laws of capitalism. And that's ownership. What is ownership? Who owns the product of your labor? For that, Emmy Lou Harris with a personal favorite of mine. It's all right, but it's midnight and I got two more bottles of wine. She came out to L.A. to get famous. And she ended up sweeping out warehouses 
A lot of people living on that level, huh? And before that, of course, Jimi Hendrix's classic rendition of the Star Spangled Banner um, from uh, the, the festival in Woodstock, New York in 1969. This is the B, and this is Labor and Love, where we tell you how it is. If one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. If you don't have a seat at the table, the negotiating table that is where you live, where you work, you're on the menu. And never but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. And when I say labor, I mean you. Labor and Love Radio, where the labor meets the road. We've got a whole lot of uh, labor history, labor commentary, labor news today. Who was Elizabeth Jennings? Who was Charlotte Gilman? These are people in the past who struggled to make the world a better place to make America a better place. The blue and the green, the the Green New Deal versus labor, does it have to be versus? No, hello, we're all the same people. Exxon CEO, Goodwill CEO, problem, bang. That's our buzzer department. Um, one of the greatest upheavals, one of the greatest rebellions in U.S. labor history, the very first where labor stood up and looked around all over the nation, saw how mighty it was. The great upheaval of 1877. What to do if ice comes to your door? Just a shorthand of what you're you're required to do and what you don't have to do. Poem by Langston Hughes. Oratory by Danny Glover. Why is queer liberation? Why are queer, queer liberation and the pro-abortion movement, labor issues, ultimately, as always, we'll have our credos and a lot of music of social significance. We'll have radio labor. Okay, let's get on with it. Uh, this is a reading of a statement by Frederick Douglass, the publisher of my hometown uh, newspaper in Pacifica, published uh, in a real warm, touchy-feely kind of um American 4th of July tale with a big old flag. 
as far as I was concerned, the the problem was that it was in a church and it was during a church service. That made me think about, you know, 4th of July. What does it mean? What did it mean for people who couldn't talk about being free or having freedom? Former slave, editor of the abolition newspaper, the North Star, was asked to give a speech in 1852 in Rochester on the 4th of July. <laughs> Mr. President, friends and fellow citizens, he who could address this audience without a quailing sensation has strong, stronger nerves than I have. I do not remember ever to have appeared as a speaker before an assembly more shrinkingly nor with greater distrust of my ability than I do this day. A feeling has crept over me quite unfavorably to the exercise of my limited powers of speech. Fellow citizens, pardon me, allow me to ask, why am I called upon to speak here today? What have I or those I represent to do with your national independence? Are the great principles of political freedom and the natural justice embodied in the Declaration of Independence extended to us? And am I therefore called upon to bring our humble offering to the national altar and to confess the benefits and express devout gratitude for the blessings resulting from your independence to us. Would to God both for your sake and ours that an affirmative answer could be truthfully returned to these questions. Then would my task be light and my burden easy and delightful. But such is not the state of the case. I see it with a sad sense of disparity between us. I am not included within the pale of this glorious anniversary. Your high independence only reveals the immeasurable distance between us. The blessings in which you this day rejoice are not enjoyed in common. The rich inheritance of justice, liberty, prosperity, and independence bequeathed by your fathers is shared by you, not by me. The sunlight that brought light and healing to you has brought stripes and death to me. This 4th of July is yours, not mine. At a time like this, scorching irony, not convincing argument is needed. Oh, ha had I the ability and could reach the nation's ear, I would today pour out a fiery stream of biting ridicule, blasting reproach, withering sarcasm and stern rebuke. For it is not light that is needed, but fire. It is not the gentle shower, but thunder. We need the storm, the whirlwind, and the earthquake. The feeling of the nation must be quickened. 
the conscience of the nation must be roused. The propriety of the nation must be startled. The hypocrisy of the nation must be exposed and his crimes against God and man must be proclaimed and denounced. What to the American slave is your 4th of July? I answer, a day that reveals to him more than all other days in the year, the gross injustice and cruelty in which he is the constant victim. To him, your celebration is a sham, your boasted liberty and unholy license your national greatness, swelling vanity, your sounds of rejoicing are empty and heartless, your denunciation of tyrants, brass-fronted impudence, your shouts of liberty and quality, hollow mockery, your prayers and hymns, your sermons and thanksgivings with all your religious parade and solemnity are to him mere bomb blast, fraud, deception, impiety, and hypocrisy. Mm. A thin veil to cover up crimes which would disgrace a nation of savages. There's not a nation on the earth guilty of practices more shocking and bloody than are the people of the United States at this very hour. Go where you may. Search where you will, roam through all the monarchies and despises of the old world. Travel through South America, search out every abuse, and when you have found the last, lay your facts by the side of the everyday practices of this nation. And you will say with me that for revolting barbarity and shameless hypocrisy, America reigns without a rival. That was Danny Glover reading uh, the words of Frederick Douglass. Um, a man not afraid, Douglas that is, not afraid to say the truth. He was speaking, of course, to an all-white audience. Huh? Okay, I want to get up uh, Langston Hughes now. Hughes is an interesting case because when we were learning um, poetry, and and uh, criticism and uh, things like that at UC Berkeley. <clears throat> Hughes was kind of considered a lightweight. You wouldn't even talk about Maya Angelou because uh, the poetry that that was being studied and and defined in the English department at UC Berkeley was a much more formal thing. Um, these poets speak in the language of, of people. And uh, 
their lines are not measured like in the same way as we might say this is this pentameter or that pentameter. My Angelou especially is more of a bardic poet. Um, Hughes, you know what, I'm going to play some music. I'm going to try to find out uh, where I can get uh, someone reading Hughes' work. All right. One of the theme songs of our show. <laughs> Okay there. Um, Bob Dylan and his subterranean homesick blues, which I said have uh, was once a, th a theme song of the show. We played it every week, but Annie DeFranco.
job is done. Come on, all good workers, this year is our time. Now there's folks in Washington who care what's on our minds. Come on, come on, voters, let's all vote next time. Show which side are you on now? Which side are you
And still I see no changes Can a brother get a little peace? It's war on the streets and a war in the Middle East Instead of war on poverty They got a war on drugs so the police can bother me And I ain't never did a crime I ain't have to do But now back with the box, giving it back to you Don't let them jack you up, back you up, crack you up And pip smack you up You gotta learn to hold your own They get jealous when they see you with your mobile phone But tell the cops I can't touch this I don't trust this When they try to rush, I bust this That's the sound number two You say it ain't cool My mama didn't raise no fool And as long as I stay black I gotta stay strapped And I never get to lay back Cause I always gotta worry about the payback Some buck that I roughed up way back Coming back after all these years That's the way it is That's just the way it is Okay, that, that of course was uh, Tupac Shakur with uh, Changes. Now we've got a poem by Langston Hughes. It's called Let America Be America Again, and the reader is James Earl Jones. Let America Be America Again. America never was America to me. Let America be the dream the dreamers dreamed. Let it be that great strong land of love, where never kings connive nor tyrants scheme, that any man be crushed by one above. It never was America to me. Oh, let my land be a land where liberty is crowned with no false patriotic wreath, but opportunity is real and life is free. Equality is in the air we breathe. Say, who are you that mumbles in the dark? And who are you that draws your veil across the stars? I am the poor white, fooled and pushed apart. I am the Negro, bearing slavery's scars. I am the red man, driven from the land. I am the immigrant, clutching the hope I seek and finding only the same old stupid plan of dog-eat-dog and mighty crush the weak. I am the young man, full of strength and hope, Tangled in that ancient endless chain of profit, power, gain, of grab the land, of grab the gold, of grab the ways of satisfying need, of work the men, of take the pay, of owning everything for one's own greed. I am the farmer, bondsman to the soil. I am the worker, sold to the machine. I am the Negro, servant to you all. I am the people, humble, hungry, mean, Hungry yet today, despite the dream. Beaten yet today, O oh pioneers. I am the man who never got ahead. The poorest worker bartered through the years. Yet I'm the one who dreamt our basic dream in the old world, while still a serf of kings, who dreamt a dream so strong, so brave, so true, that even yet its mighty daring sings in every brick and stone, in every furrow turn. 
has made America the land it has become. Oh, I am the man who sailed those early seas in search of what I meant to be my home. For I'm the one who left dark Ireland's shore and Poland's plain and England's grassy lee and torn from black Africa's strand, I came to build the homeland of the free. Oh, let America be America again, the land that never has been yet and yet must be, the land where every man is free, the land that's mine, the poor man's, Indians, Negroes, me, who made America, whose sweat and blood, whose faith and pain, whose hand at the foundry, whose plow in the rain, must bring back our mighty dream again. Oh yes, I say it plain. America never was America to me, and yet I swear this oath. America will be. America will be. And that was Langston Hughes. Uh, the poet was Langston Hughes, read by James Earl Jones. Let America be America again. Uh, he seems to think that our national destiny is to become a freer and freer place, uh, bound together and not parted by our diversity. Let America be America again. By Langston Hughes. Let's take a minute to talk about some credos. Our credos are the things that we believe. And they're put in especially uh, cogent form. So they deal with Um, the credos that we have deal with immigration policy, uh, deal with you're just not that into politics, um, abortion, we had abortion anyway. This is Utah Phillips, and Utah Phillips is talking about child labor, specifically sending uh, young boys mostly down into the mines. Kids don't have a little brother working in the coal mine. They don't have a little sister coughing her lungs out in the looms of the big mill towns of the Northeast. Why? Because we organize. We broke the back of the sweatshops in this country. We have child labor laws. These were not benevolent gifts from enlightened management. They were fought for, they were bled for, they were died for by working people, by people like us. Kids ought to know that. That's why I sing these songs. That's why I tell these stories, damn it. You Utah Phillips. Here's another one. This is from Resist. 
when the penalty for aborting after rape is more severe than the penalty for rape, that's when you know it's a war on women. Think about that for a minute. A man attacks you, rapes you, he's caught, you decide not to have the child, you can be victimized. You can be charged more money and more time in your life than the man who jumped you and raped you. Seems a little weird, doesn't it? This is from Really American, and this is about our immigration policy. It just expresses it all. Can I tell you a secret? I don't even care if there are undocumented immigrants in this country. Without Social Security numbers, they aren't privy to the welfare people claim they get. The vast majority of them are normal people trying to live a better life. This whole wall, deport the illegals bullshit, is just the 1% convincing the working poor to blame a subset of the working poor for the fact that they're all poor. Instead of realizing that the reason they're all poor is due to the vast income equality and resource of price inflation in combination with wage stagnation. If you don't have enough money to live on, that's not the fault of some guy from Mexico. That's the fault of your boss. Your boss is not paying you enough money. Please use your brains. The existence of another poor person is not why you're poor. It's because the people who control everything refuse to increase your wages. Duh. So, you know, you're, you're always running into people who say, uh, well, I'm just not that into politics. Let's talk about something else. Democratic Socialists of Los Angeles. You're just not that into politics, huh? So, you're just not that into politics. I get it. Your boss is into politics. Your landlord is. Your insurance company is. And every day, they use their political power to keep your pay low, raise your rent, and deny you coverage. It's time to get into politics. Time to get into politics. Okay, this is about abortion rights. So let me see, the woman says, if I've got this right. I'm not allowed to get an abortion because I didn't realize I was pregnant till six weeks. I'm not allowed to get my tubes tied to prevent any more pregnancies because once again, it has to be someone else's rules what I do with my body. Cut funding the Planned Parenthood so now I can no longer get the cheap birth control to prevent a pregnancy. Not all insurance covers birth control. 
cut funding to CHIP, WIC, and food assistance, making it harder for the single mothers to take care of the child they're forced to have. I think I got it. Government can't tell you what guns you can own because that's violating your rights as an American citizen. But it's totally okay for them to tell me what I can and can't do with my own body. Because my rights aren't being violated or because my rights as a woman just aren't as important. Hello? Anyone who, anyone who has not control over her own body is a slave. Here's a poem by Lawrence Ferlinghetti. Pity the nation, he says. And this is after Khalil Gibran by Lawrence Ferlinghetti. Pity the nation whose people are sheep and whose shepherds mislead them. Pity the nation whose leaders are liars, whose sages are silent, and whose bigots haunt the airwaves. Pity the nation that raises not its voice except to praise conquerors and acclaim the bully as hero and aims to rule the world by force and by torture. Pity the nation that knows no other language but its own and no other culture but its own. Pity the nation whose breath is money and sleeps the sleep of the too well-fed. Pity the nation, oh, pity the people who allow their rights to erode and their freedoms to be washed away. My country, tears of thee, Sweet land of liberty. My country tears of thee. Sweet land of liberty. Okay, that's uh, Lawrence Ferlinghetti. Um, expressing his pity for uh, Americans. All right, let's see. I wanted to find some other uh, credo-type things. See if I can find them real quick here on our labor beat. They're on the labor beat. And they're about... I saw a good one about uh, trickle-down economics, where the person says, here's the theory, okay? We allow our bosses to keep even more of our money that we work for in the hopes that they'll do something with it and bring it back down to us. Trickle-down economics. Why bother with the capitalist? Why give him the money or her? It's like, and then it never comes back, of course, because um, 
Every dollar that that person gets is the one dollar that you don't get. We're going to talk more about this a little later when we take up the whole thing about Taylor Swift. So, well, while you were so worried socialism would take your freedoms, capitalism stole your pension, took your savings, sent your jobs overseas, robbed you of health care, dismantled the educational system, and put you in debt. And all you have left is your racism, your xenophobia, your hate, and your guns. Please don't give in to that. It's not socialism that took things away from you. It's capitalism. When your government tells you it's illegal to give water to a child or to anybody dying of thirst in a desert, your civilization has crumbled. Hear, hear. When your government tells you it's against the law to help some poor guy in the jungle, in the desert, pardon me, who's dying of thirst, and you're not supposed to do anything like that about it. Think of the Good Samaritan, of course, one of the famous stories told by Jesus. All the people who saw the man by the side of the road all beaten up and victimized by thieves begging for help. People passed by and said, well, you know, maybe he's faking. And if I go over there, uh, a couple of his partners are going to jump out, jump on me. Someone else would say, oh, no, those people are like that because they want to be. Those people have choices. In Trump's America, what happens is we take that person and put him in prison. Why? For being there, for getting beat up, for wanting to make their lives better for wanting to take care of their children. In modern America, we put them in prison. We put the Samaritan in prison. Okay, let's, let's see if we can get some music here. This is the Labor and Love Radio, by the way. You're listening to Labor and Love Radio on Mutiny Radio, mutinyradio.fm. If you want to find out about, uh, about archive shows, go to the archives button and uh, find the name of the show you want, as an L, as in Labor and Love. And there will be a list of all the podcasts that Labor and Love has, uh, over the years, accrued a show that's really, by the way, changed. 
Um, I started out as just a disc jockey. I just wanted to play songs that I liked. And then I started seeing, you know, other possibilities for this show. Um, okay, Labor and Love here, uh, 2781 21st Street. I want to alert you to two things. First of all, stay tuned after the Labor and Love show for Flat Black Plastic by my buddy Scott o. Walker. Scott o kind of haunts the used record places and the Salvation Armies in the goodwill places, searching in the San Francisco Public Library, searching for gems on vinyl, and then he brings them in on on Saturday morning, Saturday at noon, and plays them for you. So don't miss that. The other thing is a heads up about KWMR, which is a radio station in Point Ray's Station, and you can find it on your dial at 90.7 or 89.5, I believe. KWMR. And I want to bring your attention to Brother Charlie Morgan, whose show Musical Verite is on uh, Tuesday night, 6.30 to 8, I believe. So give Brother Charlie a listen. <clears throat> I played some of his work on this show. He's got to get get something going here. He's got to get another album out. Way to go, Brother Charlie. <clears throat> I want to do a yell out to my buddy Earl Coleman up there in Sacramento. We're coming to see you, Earl. Hang in there. Okay, so now we're going to go to the World Labor Report, a.k.a. Radio Labor, about labor actions and resolutions worldwide. In Solidarity News on Radio Labor. This is a Radio Labor World Report recorded on Friday, July 5th, 2019. I'm Mark Belanger. In the report this week, worldwide attacks on labor rights and democracy increase. Global wage inequality worsens. Child labor in Malawi. The Labor Start report about union events and singing. This is Radio Labor. Every year, the International Trade Union Confederation releases a report on the state of workers' rights in the world. The ITC is the body which represents national labor centers such as the Ghana Trade Union Congress at the world level. This year, the ITC's Global Rights Index focused on the crisis in democracy. I talked to Magbule Sahan about the index. Ms. Sahan is the director of the ITUC's legal unit. I asked her if the situation for workers since the release of the last index in 2018 has improved or deteriorated. The situation has significantly worsened for workers. The very foundations of workplace democracy are now under attack in many countries. Some of the aspects that stand out in this year's 
index concerns the exclusion of workers from fundamental rights. In 2018, 92 countries did not allow for some certain types of workers to join unions. In 2019, this year, it is 107 countries. Most of the time, the groups of workers that are excluded from organizing are workers who are already in vulnerable situations, such as, for example, precarious workers or informal workers, but also migrants who are actually facing more repercussions because of that. We also see that there is a clear backlash against trade unions for fronting the struggle to claim democracy and freedom in societies. The number of countries where workers are arrested and detained increased from 59 last year to 64 this year. And we also see that the violence that's been perpetrated against workers has reached extreme levels. In countries such as Cameroon and Eswatini, the security forces have fired live ammunition at protesting workers. It's the type of violence that we haven't seen in a long time that's now being perpetrated. What are some of the conclusions of the 2019 Global Index? I think it's, again, the excessive violence against workers who are defending democracies that spread to more and more countries. And we see that in most cases, workers have not had access to justice when their rights have been violated. Companies, public officials, and also security forces have gotten away with violating workers' rights in 72% of countries that we have reviewed which effectively means that there is a situation of impunity with no respect for the rule of law when the rights of workers are under attack. And for us, the situation is even worse. When we look at the constraints on freedom of assembly and freedom of speech, we see that in 54 countries, that's a third of countries, uh, governments have interfered with these fundamental rights, which again shows a shift towards authoritarianism uh, at the global level. And this is manifested in the large-scale arrests of workers and trade unionists in countries like Turkey and India. And just today I talked to Felix Anthony, the General Secretary of the Fiji Trade Unions, who was arrested twice in the past couple of weeks and is facing criminal charges. So these are some of the typical trends that we're seeing globally now. The index reports on the top 10 countries which are abusing labor union rights. What are some of those countries and what are they doing? The Global Rights Index ranks the 10 worst countries each year. And this year, the countries that have joined this list are Brazil and Zimbabwe. In Brazil, we see a diminishment of workers' rights at an almost unprecedented speed. The country has adopted extremely regressive legislation that undermines collective bargaining. It has resulted in a decline of collective bargaining of 45% in just one year. And at the same time, strikes and protests are repressed with violence perpetrated by the security forces. The other country that has been included in this list is Zimbabwe, where the story is a bit different, of course. We, we knew that the country, there has always been issues in terms of respect for workers' rights. But after the fall of Mugabe last year, we had hopes that there would be a change for workers. But it didn't take long for Zimbabwe to fall back into the same patterns of violence that we've seen in the past. Protests organized this year against 
price hikes were crushed violently by police. Twelve workers have been killed, 70 have sustained gunshot wounds, and in total 320 persons were injured. And the trade union leaders continue to face criminal charges that, that basically hang over their heads and limit their ability to mobilize and organize activities for workers. The wage gap between the poorest and highest wage earners in the world is growing. See Marie Ainsborough reports. A new survey by the International Labor Organization shows a startling picture of the world's wage inequality. 50% of all wages in the world are earned by the top 10% of workers. The bottom half of the world's labor force earns only 6% of the global wages. The ILO is the United Nations agency which focuses on matters of work in the world. The new Global Wage Survey looked at pay scales in 189 countries. It showed that overall, the income paid workers in countries is falling. Middle class workers have seen their income drop dramatically, while the top 20% of earners have increased their income. The bottom half of the world's workers earn, on average, just $200 a month. To earn the same amount that the richest 10% earn in one year, the poorest would have to work 300 years. The global labor force includes about 3.5 billion workers. About 650 million of those workers earn less than 1% of global income. More information about the world's working poor can be found at www.ilo.org. This is Seamarie Ainsborough reporting for Radio Labor. Malawi is a landlocked country in southeast Africa with a population of about 18 million. Its labor movement has been doing its best on issues such as child labor and helping workers in the informal economy. To find out more about the work of the labor movement in Malawi, I talked to Dennis Kalikeni. Mr. Kalikeni is the Secretary General of the Malawi Congress of Trade Unions, the MCTU. I asked him first about child labor in the country. Indeed, child labor in Malawi was rampant in the past years. We all appreciate the fact that Malawi is an um, agri-based economy, and most of the farmers, unfortunately, are also subsistence, uh, subsistence farmers. And because of that, a lot of labor required for families and households to survive in Malawi. Without agriculture, uh, I find it very difficult for another household family to, to, to survive. And because of this, it becomes a cause now for the entire family, that's both parents and children, to engage themselves in agricultural labor uh, in order for them to increase their production. We are also doing some commercial farming, a little bit of commercial farming, particularly in the cash crops like tobacco, which is our major folex ena, and also tea. So these are the areas in which child labor was rampant. But I'd like to indicate that uh, I think as a trade union, together with the government and also the uh, organization of the body that represents employers, we have jointly worked together to fight against child labor. And I think I am happy to report that right now, the indicators are showing that there is substantial decrease of child labor in the commercial farming particularly in tobacco and in tea. Here with his report about union events around the world is Labor Star correspondent Derek Blackadder. Here's a tiny sample of the hundreds of union news stories in 31 languages added to our site each day last week. 
Our top story sections included links to coverage of the attacks on journalists covering the huge demonstrations in Hong Kong, developments in the ongoing union-led protests in Sudan that aimed to bring the military dictatorship there down, and imprisoned teacher trade unionists in Djibouti. We had news of strikes and lockouts in dozens of countries. Here are just a few highlights. A tentative agreement looked to have ended the Taiwanese flight attendants walkout, but the strike continued after the employer refused to sign the new agreement. A large tourist hotel in southern Portugal was getting a dirty reputation as room attendants and other workers demanded an end to workplace harassment. 300 South African miners held a sit-down strike over sexual harassment and the sacking of 50 of their co-workers who had complained about working conditions in the mine. Healthcare workers in Paraguay ended their warning strike but continued to push for better funding for the public clinic system there. There was a wage strike at a McDonald's restaurant in France this week. Miners in Ukraine stopped work to demand their unpaid wages. Spanish pizza delivery riders struck to protest wage theft. The labor relations turmoil continued in Costa Rica this week with security guards and healthcare workers declaring national walkouts. And Chinese printers struck in an effort to bring attention to their terrible working conditions. Our working women pages, now available in eight languages, included a profile of the woman who led a striking mine workers union in Chile to victory. How and why women form the backbone of a mine occupation in South Africa, and why some Indian unions have been led exclusively by women throughout their history. The health and safety newswire we offer in cooperation with Hazards Magazine carried stories to hundreds of union websites around the world about the deaths of 28 Cambodian construction workers and 43 miners in the Democratic Republic of Congo, a huge increase in the number of construction workers dying on the job in New Zealand, a walkout by Australian municipal workers who were forced to use Roundup to control weeds, and a story about how and why increased tourism has made sex work more dangerous in the Netherlands. Currently, Labor Start is running four online actions. Take just a few seconds out of your day and join thousands of trade unionists around the world in helping workers make their lives better, or even help save those lives. This is Derek Blackadder from Labor Start, reporting for Radio Labor. Now here is Alistair Haythorn wait from Union Nation singing Keep Your Nose to the Grindstone. Well now an older generation said keep your nose to the grindstone and don't you look up or we'll be sending you home.
Okay, that was uh, Radio Labor. <clears throat> and uh, that group, I don't have a, a label for them. I'll have to see if we can get there. Here's one. Let's see. Got a nice one from... Um, Mose Allison. You sitting there yakking right. For people who will face. vote for Trump. I guess I'm gonna have would. to put you in your place. You know, if silence was golden, you couldn't raise a dime. Because your mind is on vacation and your mouth is working overtime. Quoting figures and dropping names. You're telling stories about the days. You're over laughing when things ain't funny. You're trying to sound like the big money. You know, if talk was criminal, you'd lead a life of crime. Because your man is on vacation and your mouth is working overtime. Short talk is cheap. Don't be making promises that you can't keep. You don't like this little song I'm singing, just grinning bad. All I can say is if the shoe fits a wet and you must keep talking, please try to make it right. Because your man is on vacation and your mouth is working. You're sitting there yakking right 
in my face I guess I'm gonna have to put you in your place You know if silence was golden You couldn't raise a dime Because your mind is on vacation And your mouth is working overtime When they say one for all and all for one, this is exactly what they mean right here. Everybody need to take notes on this and just know that it looks so much better when you're sticking together. Amigos, get about this motherfucker. Y'all got him fucked up. Look at him. They sent a couple of them home. They all packed they shit up and shut this motherfucker down. Nigga, who y'all think y'all playing with? Mexico, man, this is what black people need to be on, man. I swear to God, I love this shit. They are packing they shit up and shutting this motherfucker. Huh? Uh, oh, my mama. All that shit. <laughs> they are not bullshitting. They packed up. Yeah, I see. It's over. Them motherfuckers now packed up and dipped. They thought they was going to play with these amigos, and they said, oh, yeah, we rise together, homie. And they leaving, and they not bullshitting. Take this in, man. Look at this, man. They shut this big motherfucker down today, man. We all going home, man. The SAs. Look, ain't no grinding, cutting, welding. This is motherfucker dead-ass quiet. The Mexicans shut this motherfucker down, nigga. Said, fuck you, bitch. And really, and really, see, this is what I'm talking about, baby. I swear to God, they got me here geeked up. Oh, my Malcolm X shit. Oh, my mama, nigga. Fuck the bullshit, nigga. Look at this. They shut this bitch down. They pissed them off, nigga. And they said, fuck you, we out. We not working no more today. Kiss my ass, nigga. I'll let y'all tomorrow. Oh, my mama. That's great. Look. Ain't nobody here. We're just cleaning up. We're going home. It's over. I'm right with the essays, nigga. Fuck it. Go to the crib. Go to the go to the casa. I thought me and boy be in. You swear to God, these motherfuckers want to play it. Hey. You want to get live? Earlier, we played a Taylor Swift song, uh, Just Calm Down, something like that, uh, about people who react violently to homosexuals and uh, gay liberation. But um, the point of, of what we're saying, what I, what I wanted to talk about was not whether or not, and there, there's a whole thing going on with Taylor Swift and um, 
her manager who sold all the masters of her songs to this guy that she doesn't like. She's having a personal feud with who runs a big uh, management company. And um, she says, I should own my own albums. Right? I should own my own albums. She's talking about ownership now. In her Tumblr post, Swift says that Borchetta is selling the music I wrote on my bedroom floor and video I dreamed up and paid for from the money I earned playing in bars, then arenas, then stadiums. Pop star Halsey put the case even more succinctly in a tweet where she said that Swift deserves to own the painstaking labor of her heart. Now, the both of them are both describing a Marxist idea, the idea of alien, alienated labor, in which the work you do and the things you produce are taken from you and end up confronting you from the outside. The object which labor produces, Marx writes, labor's product, confronts it as something alien, as a power independent of the producer. If you're a carpenter or something, you know this. You build a, help build a house, and then the house is not yours anymore. The house belongs to someone else, not to you who did the labor. Under capitalism, workers lose control of their labor, which is wrested from them, and turn into products and objects that benefit others. Swift created albums, Fearless, Red, 1989, etc. Those albums are her labor. That labor is packaged and commodified so others can enjoy it, but also exploit it. Braun, that's her manager, can even sell it without her consent. Her labor should be hers, but under capitalism, it becomes someone else's. That's alienation. Swift's plight is so visible and so visceral that all of a sudden we realize, because we think of arts as uniquely fulfilling, All of a sudden we realize, well, why doesn't she have control over her own labor? I should own my own albums, and it makes instant sense. But if a, an assembly line worker said, I should own my cars, or a Walmart employee said, I should own my store, they'd receive substantially less public support, presuming they could even find anyone to listen to them. The point here isn't that Swift is a hypocrite or that she shouldn't have control over the product of her labor. Rather, the point is that everyone should have control over the product of their labor. We may notice the injustice in the case of Taylor Swift because we see pop stars and artists as uniquely free. 
When that freedom is impinged upon, it seems wrong, and it is wrong. But if we want it to be right, we need to free a lot more people than just Taylor Swift. Hear, hear. Swift's quandary is our own quandary. The fact that she wants to own her labor or a, a part of the thing that she produces. And what would be wrong with that? The record company, of course, would get paid. But Swift, as the artist, would retain ultimate rights. The way it is now, those rights can be bought and sold by anyone. And um, Swift's upset. There's, there's some evidence that she had a chance to buy back her, uh, her masters, but not in a very good, uh, it wasn't a good deal for her. She had to produce more albums for these people in order for them to give her back her masters. So, we need to think about this stuff on your own job, right? What happens to the product of your labor? Huh? Is it yours? No, of course not. Ah, uh, okay. And we played our Mexican workers. Let's play some music here. I think I, did I identify our last cut? I think I did. Okay.
Okay, now where did that set come from? That That's something. That set came, that's a belated birthday greeting to my mother from June 14th. That was Summit Ridge Drive by Artie Shaw, the maestro of the jazz and swing clarinet. For that take the A train, how do you get to Harlem? You take the A train. In the Mood by Glenn Miller, arranged by Joe Glazer and Mo. Well, we had Mose Allison already told you about. The Great Railroad Strike of 1877, a huge event in the nation's history. The first national strike of railroad workers in response to drastic cuts by railroad moguls, Jay Gould. In 1877, the economy was weak. The Civil War caused immense damage to the country and its finances. Both the Confederate and the Union were firing on their own country, which resulted in heavy damage to the buildings and property in the area. After the war, landowners with destruction to their property wanted the government to pay for the devastation, so the government had to pay for millions in wreckage. The government did not just have all this money, so they raised taxes. The raise in taxes took more money from companies, and so the companies had to have wage cuts and Great Rail Strike. In 1877, the U.S. was in the grips of a severe economic depression. The effects were being felt everywhere, including the railroad business. To make up for financial losses, some of the major railroads were cutting back. For instance, the Pennsylvania Railroad had cut wages by 10% in May, then again in June. By July, the Baltimore and Ohio Railroad was cutting wages for the second time in eight months. Anyone making over a dollar a day was to be cut by 10%, and employees would only work two days a week instead of three. At one time, a trade union would have fought against the salary and wage cut for the workers, but the Depression had left them virtually powerless. So, on July 16, 1877, workers for the Baltimore and Ohio Railroad in Martinsburg, West Virginia, took things into their own hands. They unhooked the nearly 600 locomotives and declared that the trains would stay put until the cut was repealed. Soon, a crowd gathered to show their support, and the police were dispatched. When they were unable to break the strikers up, the governor sent in the militia. The militia wasn't much help, though, because they were sympathetic to the workers' plight. So, the trains remained stranded until the governor asked President Hayes for help. He answered by sending in federal troops, a move that resulted in trains getting to leave the station. While this would seem like a victory for the governor and the Baltimore and Ohio Company, the situation was actually getting worse. The strike now extended beyond Martinsburg all the way to stations in Chicago. The Pennsylvania Railroad in Pittsburgh also followed their lead and the workers were able to take control of the city before federal troops arrived. The story was the same in St. Louis too. A strike in Maryland on July 20th became very dramatic and resulted in violence. The militia had been dispatched to take control of strikers who were delaying trains in Cumberland. Members in the crowd had thrown stones at the guardsmen and they fired back. 
The event left at least 10 dead, including a newsboy and a teenager. In response, angry rioters in Baltimore burned and derailed train cars and even cut the fire hoses to prevent anyone from extinguishing the fires. At one point, there were approximately 14,000 protesters involved before President Hayes sent in the federal troops to regain control. A day before the Baltimore incident, a rail yard strike in Pittsburgh had ignited. On top of the recent wage cuts, the Pennsylvania Railroad had also announced it would be doubling the length of trains heading east, but without additional staff. This did not sit well with the workers, who reacted by blocking the movement of all trains. Other workers from the city, including miners and iron and steel workers, joined the side of the railroad employees. It seemed the entire city was now on strike. The police and local National Guard unit made little effort to handle the situation. The governor, frustrated by the lack of local cooperation, sent in guard units from Philadelphia. On July 21st, the new units tried to establish control and ultimately fired upon a crowd that had formed. A riot broke out as armed crowd members fired back. 20 were dead, including a woman and a few children, before the guardsmen finally withdrew into a roundhouse. The angry mob set fire to trains and buildings and damaged other railroad property, all while continuing to exchange gunfire with the guards. This went on until the next night, by which time 20 more crowd members and five guardsmen had died. The Pennsylvania Railroad reported approximately $4 million in losses as well. With an overtasked National Guard, chaos continued through the rest of Pennsylvania for the next eight days. Workers in other towns went on strike, factories and stores closed, railroad property was damaged, and fires were set all before the National Guard and federal troops could ultimately regain control. Multiple cities from the Midwest and Northeast were dealing with strikes by July's end, too. Many railroad fraternal organization leaders were alarmed by the riots, and the phrase communist insurrection was being tossed around by a paranoid upper class. In some states, such as Ohio, citizens even formed a type of police corps to protect their cities from the havoc being caused by the strikers. Within a month, the strikes were waning, however. The unorganized demonstrations by angry workers with no true leaders just could not hold ground against the federal army. Plus, the railroads were back up and running, thanks to strikebreakers, individuals hired to work in place of the employees on strike. By the time the great railroad strike had ended, there were nearly 100 people dead and 10 times as many arrested. And for what? Well, nothing, unfortunately. It had only temporarily shut down commerce. Wages continued to be cut, and unions continued to be squashed by the wealthy industrialists. Their lack of success, however, did not deter future railway strikes. The 1880s and 1890s would also see their fair share of rail work. Okay, that's the skinny on the Great Railroad Strike of 1877, where workers in places like St. Louis, New Orleans, Pittsburgh, joined together black and white, and in some cases ran the cities. Time for me to go. This is the B telling you if one person gets a dollar they didn't work for. And making a kind of a ride. Someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. 
Bye, everybody. It requires a lot of Hope your different happy. facts of life that we must know about. Goodbye and good work. And when you think about the various nations of the earth, the various religions of the earth, the various nationalities, the various people all over the world, to make Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of Mutiny Radio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. Mutiny Radio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> My friends out at Mutiny Radio. Chester Cashcock here, giving you my love and regards as well as Mufi's over there. And you know, anytime I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and piles and piles of filthy cash, I can't help but listen to Bamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse every Friday from 8 to 10. They have a fun time at Pamtastics Deep in the Mission, where you can laugh off your tushy every Friday for a mere $10. And $10, I mean, that's what I use to wipe my tushy with, so to wipe it off for... <laughs> it's in duty, this. And if you can't make it to Mutiny Radio, don't worry, don't fret at all. You can simply download the podcast post-show in the comfort of anywhere, like your Aspen Summer Cottage on the Mountain Ridge for the kayaks. <laughs> Just go to podcast.pcrcollective.org or mutinyradio.fm podcasts and look for Comedy Clubhouse with a K. You can download it for free. But we'd love to see you every Friday, 8 to 10, down here at Mutiny Radio. Laugh off your tushy and save your life. Because you know what's better than laughter? Well, it's a cash cock, baby.
Let's just do. So, so if you're in your car and you're listening to one radio station, you need radio doing station. Is you're you're, you're all, all the others. They are they are tweeting in all, all frequencies, and you keep them. So just listen to to one specific fix. Saturday, Saturday into two. Sound quality, quality, good, and you understand, understand things that's plain, plain. However, however, if your radio, radio is not fine, too, too, you might, might, two or two or three or more stage stations at the same time. time. Hey, Mutineers Stolowitz here. Have you ever listened to Labor and Love on Saturday mornings, 10 to noon, with Bill Morgan? It's a really excellent show, one of my favorites here at the station. And it's all about service. It might be the devil, it might be the Lord, but we got to serve somebody. And Bill understands the virtue of service as the heart and soul of the labor movement better than a lot of people I know. And it's one of the reasons I love to listen to him. He breaks down socialism, democracy, protest history, workers' news, and the power of unions. Along with that, he serves up an excellent mix of jazz, Latin, gospel, hip-hop, and traditional folk ballads. Great stuff. Check it out. Labor and Love is every Saturday, 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. Serve somebody. your sense of
Saturday for only $5, Benders brings you face-melting metal and rock and roll. The last Friday of the month, Pump Rock and Schlock delivers super fun karaoke with Daily. And come on, what's not to like? They even have counter-all from inside, frying up the top with sexy hot burgers for your face. Open every day at 2 p.m. Their happy hour goes till 7 p.m. Benders is proud to be a sponsor of the Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival because they're an awesome community asset to the dirtbags who keep art alive in the mission. Benders Bar and Grill. Back up, back up. 